Thanks for listening to Porchlight Music Theater's WPMT. If you love classic musicals, why not check out Porchlight's Sondheim at 90 Roundtable, our discussion series focusing on the complete works of Stephen Sondheim, with me, Porchlight Artistic Director Michael Weber. I've had a great time discussing all of the musicals of Sondheim's incredible career with stars from Chicago theater, Broadway, and beyond weekly throughout Sondheim's 90th birthday year. Listen today to Sondheim at 90 Roundtable for a behind-the-scenes deep dive into the mind, the music, and the writing methods of one of music theater's greatest composers. Available right here on your favorite podcast platform. Search for Sondheim at 90 Roundtable or visit porchlightmusictheater.org for more information. I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. Today is another special edition of Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio with our special guest, Jeff Award-nominated actor and director Johanna McKenzie Miller, who has appeared in numerous productions at the Drury Lane, Court Theater, Northlight, Chicago Shakespeare, and the Goodman Theater, among others. Her directing credits include productions at First Folio, Porchlight Music Theater, and the upcoming production of Kiss Me Kate at the Marriott Theater. Hello, Joanna. Hello. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Hey. Opening December 30th, 1948 at the New Century Theater before transferring to the Schubert Theater, Kiss Me Kate with music and lyrics by Cole Porter and a book by Bella and Samuel Spiewak was the only show by Cole Porter to run for more than 1,000 performances on Broadway. The story of ex-spouses who happen to be stage stars performing in a musical version of Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew, a colorful cast of secondary characters including the actress playing Bianca and her gambler boyfriend who run afoul of some gangsters, populate this tuneful and dancey show that won the very first Tony Award for Best Musical. So, Joanna, as somebody who is going to be directing this uh, sort of one of the big favorite shows uh, from Broadway, let's go back to the beginnings of this show. Let's talk a little bit about how uh, it all started this was a Cole Porter musical in the 1940s, mm -hmm. in, the in the late 40s. Um, we know Cole Porter as this composer, you know, who wrote Anything Goes and all of these like super 1930s, swanky, elegant shows. Where was Cole Porter in his career by this point in the late 1940s? What was going on? Yeah, so he had, uh, like you said, had a big success, had some big successes in the 30s. Um, uh, he had kind of an interesting career where he would put out some stuff that would be sort of meh, like uh, reviewed or, or um, and um, and then he would have a big hit and then it would sort of kind of be, he would kind of go oh, have some not so successful things and then anything goes, comes along. Um, by this time, he had already started writing for Hollywood, like for some movies and had some some um, success out there. Um, and he was he was writing a lot also um in Europe, he had a place in Paris that he lived in uh, with his wife as well. So he he was doing he was kind of all over the place. He was a super prolific writer. He had, you know, if you look at his uh, his uh, history, he's got shows opening every year on Broadway. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, so by this point, he had he had kind of had a big success, and he was 
sort of um, looking for another uh, Broadway hit because he'd had uh, uh, Jubilee and um, Red Hot and Blue. And then uh, like Dewberry was a lady had come out and that was a, a big hit. And that was again, late 30s. So, so um, he... I think that answered your question. So he was he was kind of looking, I think, for another opportunity to mm-hmm. to to shine and have another successful like a, a production. Right. You know. But he's at a point in his career where he's he's had a few flops on Broadway. And, and yes. I think from yeah. what I understand there, there people were kind of thinking that at this point that Cole Porter was kind of through, like his career had dried up a bit by the time. Absolutely. Yeah. He had down. yeah, because he had had a series of shows that were successful shows but there were no real songs that came out because he he was one this is a time when pop songs came out of musicals and and he hadn't had any hits anything like that and then in uh 44 and 46 there were a couple actual flops what they would consider and and people thought he was sort of done um uh so in in terms of you know his that his best work was behind him if you will um and then he you know comes up with this hugely successful um, extremely tuneful <laughs> t- uh, show of Kiss Me Kate. And it's a collaboration, of course. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, the, the, the success nor the blame of any uh, show can be can be put on one member of the team. Um, mm-hmm. In this particular case with Cole, with uh, Kiss Me Kate, he's, he's collaborating with a team here, uh, mm-hmm. Bella and Samuel Spiewak. Um, yeah. l- l- tell us a little bit about who were, who they, who were they? So he had uh, worked with them previously um, on a musical um, called, I have it here somewhere, uh, Leave, it, Leave It to Me. And that was in, in 1938. Um, and, and yeah, and they were, Bella and Samuel Spiak were a married couple who uh, were a writing pair. By the time they were working on Kiss Me Kate, their, they were, uh, their marriage was in some trouble. They were separated at that point. Um, and actually, um, Many of the sources that I have found and things I have read, uh, really, Bella Spiewak was kind of the lead writer on the mm-hmm. on the piece, and in fact, she is the one who recommended or who brought the project to Cole Porter mm-hmm. that she was interested in him uh, writing the music, and her husband at the time, Samuel Spiewak, he um, he, I think there are some sources say he didn't even want credit at all, but mm-hmm. Cole Porter encouraged him to um appear as a writing partner so that um that he, they felt like the uh audiences would more readily accept a, a couple the married mm-hmm. couple I, you know we're, we're still at a time in the 40s uh late 40s and some would say even today <laughs> that uh, a woman's worth was really measured by you know her husband and what her husband did and uh so for her work to be taken seriously they felt like they needed his name on it as well and he he contributed he did um um some of the gangster stuff he contributed mostly in in that arena, I think, um, at least from what I've read. And they're a, they were a writing team as well, so yeah. th- there's probably value, I think, thinking from a marketing standpoint of instead of breaking up the team to keeping the team because they had had successes yes. writing particularly comedies, a lot of yep. a lot of uh, comedies on Broadway that were very successful. So mm-hmm. we've got a show that's going to be about. An, a, a, an arguing couple being mm-hmm. written by a couple who is arguing. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
we've also got sort of, there's another inspiration of another couple from what I understand, uh, the Shakespearean acting couple of, uh, of, of Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine. Lynn Fontaine. Uh -huh. yeah, who, uh, yeah. Yeah. They had a very famous, um, tour of Taming of the Shrew where they apparently were, um, taking out, taking liberties with the, uh, choreography, if you will, <laughs> on each other. Um, and audiences were thrilled by the, this, uh, and so people were, you know, going to see their production of Taming of the Shrew, uh, to see them kind of going at each other mm -hmm. in ways that were perhaps not choreographed. And so, <laughs> um, so that was a bit of inspiration of how, you know, sort of the blurred lines, if you, if you, uh, are a fan of Kiss Me Kate or, or read it or watch it or whatever, uh, you, there are, are moments when they're on stage um, in the scenes and you can't tell who's talking. You kind of have to do a little digging as the actor or director mm -hmm. to see like, wait, is this a Kate line? Is she, and even if she's, or he is saying the Kate or Petruchio language, you kind of, it really blurs the lines between actor and character and, um, you know, and then they they take advantage of using the language to get at each other, which is mm -hmm. is a fun and uh, task to uh, to kind of dig through. And keep keeping the poetry while making sure you get in your dig. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so around this time, then again, uh, it's not it's the late nineteen forties on Broadway. Cole Porter has his big hits in the nineteen thirties with sort mm -hmm. of that loose, free for all, vaudeville, but lots of hit tune kind of show. And somewhere in the early nineteen forties, there's a change kind of happening on Broadway that's going to affect mm -hmm. everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Including Cole Porter. Yes. Um, Rogers and Hammerstein show up. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're doing more work that is, um, you know, story driven and the tunes, the songs, the lyrics are like really forwarding the narrative and the storytelling um, in those works. And so it, it's, that kind of crossover, like you're, like you mentioned from sort of the vaudeville, um, review kind of feel of a show where we have these kind of standalone pieces that are kind of plugged in, um, to the, to an existing or not existing, um, but to, to the storyline, you know, kind of mm -hmm. pastiche, if you will. Um, and they're really writing with a, a larger arc in mind and, um, using, like I said, the lyrics to, to really forward mm -hmm. the, the plot and the narrative. Right. And so that's a challenge I think for, for, um, Cole Porter, because he's, um, he's such a clever and witty lyricist and he really can get wrapped up in a turn of phrase and, um, and the, the cleverness of it, which, um, you, you sometimes doesn't, sometimes it doesn't lend itself to to moving along a narrative because he kind of gets wrapped up in like the jewel of of his cleverness if you will <laughs> and uh um and so they're really fun you know his list songs and his pattery songs but it's not necessarily moving the story forward so trying to figure find that balance i think with kiss me kate right and it seems like he and 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 maybe irving berlin and 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 jerome kern some of those old school broadway writers really had to answer to these you know these new upstarts rogers and hammerstein <laughs> who really just changed the game forcing mm -hmm. them to have to adapt and, mm -hmm. and and make this late career adjustment 
And it sounds like Cole Porter, you know, knocked it out of the park with this one, surprising everybody. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm still I'm still here. I'm still vice. still relevant. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like you're saying, even Rogers and Hammerstein, if you look at the content of their shows, they're they're taking on big issues of the day, big social issues of the day. Not it's not just the sort of frothy entertainment uh, anymore. It's it's they have something to say. And um and I, I feel like there is something to say in Kiss Me Kate. And I think I feel like Bella Spiewak um, is really writing with a, a female point of view in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the piece. She's, she, it, it, there are earlier drafts um, of the show, apparently, um, uh, that I'm trying to get a hold of, actually. <laughs> but um, that Kate has, uh, Lily and Catherine in the Taming the Shrew parts have more agency. There's actually kind of a, more of a Rosalind feel. Some early drafts have Kate cross-dressing, which is a very Shakespearean idea, showing up as a boy uh, at the very top and meeting Petruchio. So instead of uh, Hortensio, if you're familiar with the show, uh, he meets in, in the show, Petruchio comes and meets his friend Hortensio. He meets this boy who then is the one to say, oh, you should woo this woman who happens to be the person, you know, the, the boy dressed the woman dressed as the boy. Um, and inclu- and even the song, um, Were Thine That Special Face, was originally intended by, for Bella Spiewak, intended that to be the boy singing mm-hmm. this to Petruchio. Um, and again, the times, perhaps, it's uh, an all-male production team, you know, all this stuff, a male director. They, um, they really uh, edited her work quite a bit and decided, no, we don't, we don't want to uh, go that direction and really wanted a more traditional Catherine. And, um, uh, so I think that, you know, Bella Spiewak was, was writing and and I, I still think it's in there in the, in the text of Kiss Me Kate, there's this contentious relationship with Fred and, and this woman who is a, a star in her own right. Um, and the decisions she's making to come back and be in this play. And then when she decides to leave and come back at the end, um, so, so it really is, it, I think it is kind of uh, holds its own amongst those other pieces with a, with a bigger social picture happening. Right, right. Well, let's listen to the show and then we'll come yeah. back on the other side of it and talk a little bit more about the show itself, uh, as well as uh, more on Kiss Me Kate. So now here on the March 24th, 1952 episode of the Railroad Hour are Patrice Munzel as Lily and also as Kate and Gordon McRae as Fred, as well as Petruchio in Kiss Me Kate. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. <laughs> Star-studded Joe Train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents the great Broadway musical hit by Cole Porter and Bella and Samuel Spiewak, Kiss Me Kate, starring Gordon McRae and his celebrated guest, Patrice Munsell. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another great musical success is brought to you by the American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Miller and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. 
Tonight, Patrice Mansell and I are going to give you our impression of some of the memorable moments from one of the most delightful musicals of our time. In Kiss Me, Kate, Cole Porter and Bella and Samuel Spiewak fashioned a play within a play. And it's all about the excitement of the theater. We're a couple of actors. My name is Lily Vanessi. And my name is Fred Graham. We used to be married, and we're meeting for the first time in several years to star together in a revival of Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. I'm the tamer. And I'm the shrew. It begins on an empty stage uh, in Baltimore. Not empty, but filled with the excitement, the glamour, the fast heartbeat of an opening night. to see Lily in a dressing room to wish her luck. But the old fight started the minute we got together. Will you kindly stop upstaging me, Mr. Graham? And I will thank you, Miss Vanessi, to stop calling me vile names on the stage. Oh, Fred, do you know what day this is? Our anniversary. And you forgot. What anniversary? The first anniversary of our separation. Oh. You have no sentiment. Here. Oh, a champagne cork. You've saved it all this time from our wedding breakfast. Our wedding breakfast in my apartment. You mean that one room over the Armenian bakery? You're a fine one to complain. Remember, it was right after we closed in the road in a British Viennese operetta that was laid in Switzerland. But the costumes were Dutch. And I was understudying the lead. I was the youngest understudy in the business. No, dear. We were both in the chorus. There was a waltz in it. Remember? Something about a, a bar? Madam, you are ravishing tonight. You have made me the happiest of men. Your Highness. Wunderbar. Wunderbar. Do you swear, dear? Oh, 
There's an old saying in the theater, any opening night is a combination of magic and a curse. The magic was on stage that night and the jinx was backstage. Bill Calhoun of the company had gambled away $10,000 in a floating crap game and signed my name to the IOU. So there were two gangsters backstage pointing their pockets in my direction. And uh, on top of that, a, a bouquet I sent to Lois Lane, one of the younger gals of the company, got into the wrong dressing room. Flowers for Miss Lily Vanessi. Oh, snowdrops and pansies and rosemary. My wedding bouquet. He didn't forget. Fred didn't forget. Strange dear, but true dear. When I'm close to you, dear, the stars fill the sky. So in love with you, am I? The bouquet is beautiful. Bouquet? Oh, yes, uh, the bouquet. I haven't read the card yet. On stage, on stage, everybody. Oh, don't read it. I'll tell you what it says. To Lily, the only woman I've ever loved, the only artist I've ever worshipped. Now give me the card and you can read it after the show. Oh, Fred, did you really mean that? With all my heart. Then that's where I'm going to put the card. Next to my heart. Oh, uh -huh. There. And, Fred, dear, I'll never call you vile names again. Never. You will, my sweet. 
You will. Curtain going up, places everybody. Street scene, Padua, act one, scene one. The Taming of the Shrew. you Shakespeare scholars know what happens in Taming of the Shrew. The cantankerous Catherine can't find a husband until the handsome, charming, witty, gracious Petruchio, me, arrives in Padua with this little ditty on his lips. I've come to Ivan wealthily in Padua. If wealthily, then happily in Padua. If my wife has a bag of gold, do I care if the To Ivan wealthily in Padua. He's come to Ivan wealthily in Padua. I heard you mutter sounds, a loathsome lad you are. I shall not be disturbed a bit if she be but a quarter wit, if she can only talk of clothes while she powders her dog nose. I've come to Ivan wealthily in Padua. Slightest shock if her knees now and then should knock, if her eyes were a wee bit crossed, were she wearing the hair she'd lost. I've come to Ivan wealthily in Padua, not to mention money, money for a rainy day. I've come to Ivan wealthily in Padua. thinks Petruchio is a man like all the rest. And you don't have to be a Shakespearean scholar to know my opinion of men. I hate men. I can't abide them even now and then. Of all the types I've ever met within our democracy, I hate the most the athletes with his manner But sister, so has Lassie.
that she started hating men off stage as well as on. You see, she discovered the card and the flowers addressed to Lois. Sending my bouquet to that, that... All right, all right. I sent the child some flowers. But listen to this card. Let my lovely Lois shine through tonight, and there'll be a new star in the heavens. Thou jerk! Lily! Listen... I'm quitting the show. I'm not even going on for the act one finale. Lily, you can't do that. <laughs> That's when I got a brilliant idea. The two gangsters backstage. I told them that they'd never be paid if the show closed. And closed it would if Lily walked out. So, in the finale, the lovely Catherine was escorted on stage by two of the toughest-looking henchmen you ever saw in Padua with guns in their togas. Come, my Bonnie Kate. I said come. To the marriage feast. So kiss me, Kate. And twice and thrice. Kate in just a moment. Have you ever stopped to think about all the things you may find on a railroad passenger train? A train is a lot more than just a string of cars pulled by an engine. It may be looked on really as a home on wheels, a traveling hotel, ready for your convenience and comfort. So if you travel on business, the train is for you. It starts in town. It runs in all kinds of weather. And it saves you precious time because it has facilities and opportunities for study, for work, for conference, or for relaxation, and for sleeping as you ride to arrive in town rested and ready for the day ahead. And when you and your family plan your vacation this year, make up your mind to go in air-conditioned comfort by train. That way you leave behind the strain of long, hard driving on crowded highways. Your vacation begins the minute you step on your train. You enjoy to the full the conveniences of your hotel on wheels, where all the work of traveling is done for you, where you are sure of good food and good sleeping, where you enjoy relaxation and comfort as you watch the endlessly fascinating American scene unroll before your eyes. You'll not only have a wonderful time on the way, but when you arrive, you'll be fresh, really rested, and ready to have the time of your life in whatever part of America's fabulous vacation land you choose. Then when it's time to leave, your traveling hotel is again waiting to serve you, ready to take you swiftly, safely, and comfortably home. That way, the railroad way, you will arrive refreshed, 
happily treasuring memories of the most wonderful vacation you ever enjoyed. This is Porchlight Audience Services Manager, August Compton. Thank you for listening to WPMT. If you value programming like this, please consider making a donation today at porchlightmusictheater.org. We appreciate your consideration and hope you enjoy the show. Now here is Act Two of our Railroad Hour impression of the great Porter Spiewak hit, Kiss Me Kate, starring Gordon McRae and Patrice Munsell. <laughs> Our stage performance of Taming of the Shrew went merrily on its way, and the lovely Lily Vanessi was turning into as much of a shrew offstage as on, and my offstage self longed to tame her as much as my onstage self. So I meant every word I sang to that lovely, adorable shrew. their sleeves. I knew a way to tantalize my ex-husband. Jealousy. I'd tell him about all the men I'd know. If a custom-tailored vet asked me out for something wet, when the vet begins to pet, I cry
my cheek a pat. If the Harris pat means a Paris hat, baby. It was at that point that our opening night began to look like our closing night. Because the two gangsters found out their boss had been bumped off and left the theater. So Lily was no longer playing the role of Catherine at the point of a pistol. And that means you're free to go, Lily. Nobody's forcing you to stay. You don't have to finish the show. Thank you. Doorman, call me a cab, please. Oh, Lily. And I thought I detected a new note of softness spark of affection, a glimmer of love. You're not going to hypnotize me, Svengali. You can't walk out of me now, Lily. You walked out on me once. But I came back. Your cab's waiting, Miss Vanessa. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night, Lily. Strange stage in the closing moments of Taming of the Shrew, prepared to play the scene without Catherine, ad-libbing around her speeches. My dear Bianca and her newfound spouse, Brother Petruchio, daughter Catherine, feast with the best and welcome to my house. Uh, but where is Catherine? Where is she, Petruchio? 
She will not come, the fouler fortune mine, and there an end. What is your will, sir? Darling, you came back. Catherine, that cap of yours becomes you not. Off with a bubble and throw it underfoot. Yes, my lord and husband. I am ever and always your servant and your slave. Why, there's a wench. Come on and kiss me, Kate. Oh, kiss me, Kate. And twice and thrice. There we start. Salve will be back in just a moment. Kiss Me Kate with music and lyrics by Cole Porter and book by Bella and Samuel Spiewak was dramatized for the Railroad Hour by Lawrence and Lee. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroads. This year marks the 40th anniversary of Girl Scouting in the United States. And in the years since this organization was formed, it has helped millions of girls develop into happy, self-reliant adults and real assets to their community and their country. Today, more than 1,800,000 Girl Scouts are having fun while serving their communities and learning to be good citizens. So, happy 40th anniversary, Girl Scouts, and keep up the good work. Now, here again is the delightful Patrice Munsell. Thank you, Gordon. Oh, that wonderful music and that delightful story. And the pride and joy of the Met smiling at me across the microphone. And put down your whip, boy. Just talk. You tame me. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on the show train next week, Gordon? Well, Blanche Tabom is our guest, Pat, and we'll be singing Countess Maritza. Oh, we'll all be listening. Good night, Gordon. Good night, Pat. Friends, before we go, there's no way to appeal to a tornado. I can only appeal to you. Tornadoes which swept through six southern states destroyed thousands of homes and hospitalized hundreds. These people need your help. Answer the call, will you? Give generously through your American Red Cross. All aboard! Well, sir, it looks as though we're ready to pull out, and so until next Monday night, this is Gordon McRae saying goodbye. <laughs> McRae can be seen starring in Warner Brothers About Faith. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroad. Now keep tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. That was Kiss Me Kate on the March 24th, 1952 episode of The Railroad Hour with Patrice Munzel. She was the youngest singer ever to star at the Metropolitan Opera, and she was very well known for roles in Deflatermouse 
and uh, uh, at least she appeared 225 times at the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, she was a huge star. And I always enjoyed how uh, they would bring uh, opera stars to sing these wonderful, legit scores onto the Railroad Hour. Gordon McRae, of course, the host of the show and the star uh, of, the, of the broadcast itself as a regular series uh, host, appeared in the film versions, of course, of two Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals, Oklahoma and Carousel. He had a big film career with uh, a number of movies, some with Doris Day on Moonlight Bay and By the Light of the Silvery Moon. And they made a really good pair, I thought, in this show. Why, why Johanna, do you think that Kiss Me, Kate is still so popular today as a show? Why, why, is it, why do we still see this show from 1948? Well, I think there's a, a number of reasons. One, I think, um, are the songs. I think the, the song, the Cole Porter score is, it's just chock full of, songs you know if you if you've never seen kiss me kate but you're someone who's listened to music i feel like you could go to the show and you'd be like oh he wrote that oh he wrote that i didn't know that he wrote that there's just tune after tune after tune um and it's it's uh so you can kind of forget about the troubling content uh, because you get you know the, the huge dance numbers and it the life, the like, the opportunity to get to be backstage with a cast um, for a theater audience, uh, because the show, you know, takes place backstage and on stage, is um, I think is is pretty exciting for a theater audience because it's a a piece of the puzzle they don't usually get to see. Um, so I, I think that's part of why it's uh, also why it's popular. Um, Taming of the Shrew is still a very popular uh, uh, title for for. Shakespeare companies as well. Um, and again, it's got some troubling content. Um, and there's a, you know, not to get too sort of political about it, but, um, you know, globally and in our own country, women are still, um, you know, an at-risk community. And so seeing these stories um, can be, you know, triggering or troubling for some, for, for many people. And um, so I, this is kind of a segue, but I, I think it takes, you, you kind of have to handle it carefully because people do want to enjoy the music and the show and um, uh, also the period, you know, the period costumes and sort of that remembering that time. Um, and uh, I just kind of feel like um, we just have to be careful in a modern day to, to also remember and it, I think you just have to handle it carefully. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it's 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 funny those gangsters which are completely out of, if you if you're familiar with the show and they don't really appear in the radio hour which is one mm -hmm. of the kind of interesting things they did in there they reference them but you don't get this that brush up your Shakespeare which is this right. amazing song that is kind of out of nowhere in the show mm -hmm. um, but they're incredible characters they're hilarious and and you you really believe these two you know hard-boiled gangsters are are somewhere deep down longing to be refined thespians and they they've really spent their time in the library you know combing through sonnets or something you know and it's just it's such a juxtaposition of what you expect mm -hmm. um and i think the show is kind of like that it's full of all of these surprises which right. um i'm having a great time discovering right 
So a hugely popular show in 1948 when it appears on Broadway. It, of course, then gets made into a movie in mm-hmm. 1953. It's in 3D because it's <laughs> it's the early 50s and, and that was the popular thing of the day. So it's a musical with numbers, one of the early musicals that was made in 3D. Um, how do you think that it transferred to film for something that's so, so stage-oriented? Did it make for a good movie, in your opinion? Or, or do you think it... it- stayed better on the stage you know i i like movies so and i like movie musicals so i really enjoy the movie musical of it um and i one of the nice things about when you're doing a film is you can take um the characters out onto the roof and give them an incredible number where they're you know dancing on the rooftop and either you can switch locations so quickly and their stage is you know, the a sound stage, obviously. So it 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 can become this this much larger than life experience that when you're in the confines of a theater, we have to find other ways to transport the audience in that way. And so um I think they did a, a good I, I think I do think it's a nice uh uh adaptation of it. It's it's interesting, you know, like you said, it's very 50s in the like the the costuming and the, even right. the like the very presentational nature of it, um, um, but I think it's a, I think it holds up. Mm-hmm. And it's been revived uh, since the movie. It's been uh, uh, on Broadway uh, qu- quite famously just a few years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. It had a, a big Broadway revival. But what? But they they did some revisions to it. I think to some degree addressing what you're talking about mm-hmm. earlier. That we're when we get into reviving it on stage now, we kind of have to deal with it. Yes. And. Uh, is that what your approach is is going to be in your production that you'll be directing? Are you making some adjustments or are you are you sticking more to the original version? We yeah, we are sticking more to the original. We did um reach out and um get copies of the script of the the revival, the Broadway revival to to see if there was anything in there that I wanted to use. Um and there were some there are some things. There's more of the Shakespeare's put back in uh some of it is um is repaired, if you will. Bella Spiewak, uh, she admitted herself she was not a Shakespeare uh, scholar. And so she was nervous about handling the Shakespeare. Um, and so in some cases, some of the Shakespeare is kind of repaired. The, um, but I, I really believe if you're going to do a piece like Taming of the Shrew or Kiss Me Kate, um, that the challenge for me is taking the existing text and uh, thinking maybe outside the box or handling what's on the page and honoring that and finding a way to, um, to deal with it. Really. Um, they, there, there were some pretty significant changes made to Kate's last speech. There's a, it's a song in kiss me, Kate, and they changed. It's the Kate says, I'm, um, I'm ashamed that women are so simple and it goes on. And in, in the revival, they said that people are so simple and they, it just makes it a, for my taste, <laughs> it makes it a little vague. And I think, um, as I said before, you know, women are still, uh, at risk in globally and, um, you know, second and third class citizens in some places. And, um, so I, I, think it's important to dig into what and try to determine what the intention was you know we don't know what Shakespeare intended we we can't um people have made entire careers trying to figure that out and um 
so it's just up to us to kind of put our own microscope on it and, uh, and dig through. And because I feel like in some ways, Bella Spiewak maybe was trying to be heard and write her own story, um, of a woman trying to make it in this business on her own. Um, it, I think it's, for me, it's really been interesting and important to dig into Lily and her story, the woman who plays Kate, the actress who plays Kate played by another actress. Um, and, uh, uh, and see where it is, you know, taking what she says, um, sometimes at face value, but sometimes recognizing that it's just, we have to wear these masks a lot of times as women and, um, kind of fit into the world to make it right. And certainly in 1948, there were expectations of how women should behave and could behave. And, um, anyway, so I, I find, I find it more challenging to take what's, what's on the page and, um, and, uh, address that. Right. Well, I think Bella Spiewak is very fortunate to have you as the director of her play uh, oh, as it's upcoming, and I'm so excited to see it. Thank you, Johanna Mackenzie Miller, for joining me today and learning a little bit more from you about Kiss Me, Kate, uh, as well as uh, not only what this production was, but what you're going to be doing with it and how you're going to make it a fantastic production. Thanks for well, being Well, thank here. you. Thank you. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Martin.